push this thing down a little bit. I don't know what it is. Ty thinks I'm like eight feet tall. Sometimes I feel it, but I don't look it. <laughs> um, well, good morning. I'm excited to be able to bring God's word to you. It's always a huge blessing, one, to just be a part of this church, and also to have an opportunity just to preach to you from God's word. So I'm encouraged and thankful. And we're on week three of the new chair setup. And I don't know if Dave hasn't told you this, but one really cool thing about this setup is it's really easy to make eye contact with everyone. And something I learned at youth group is when something's really convicting, the kids that don't want to be convicted are always looking down. And it's harder for you to not make eye contact like this. So this way I'll really know if I'm hitting home. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Anyway, we're starting a new series, and I'm going to be kicking it off this week, Got Dirt, Got Dirt, talking about forgiveness. And we're going to be answering frequently asked questions on the topic of forgiveness. Uh, Dave asked me to preach this first week because him and Sarah and also Ty and Sarah went on a vacation. I mean, um, a retreat. Wait, sorry. No, a conference. That's what it was. Conference. Yeah, they went and played disc golf while I sat in the office and worked all week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> suffering for the Lord. <laughs> um, anyway, we're kicking off a new series I, on this, and I heard, a, heard of a pastor once. He was just called to this new church, and he had his first sermon for the church was on John 3.16. John 3.16, and the title of the sermon is How to Be Born Again. Man, a great topic to kind of kick off starting in a new church. Um, so he preaches on that, and the sermon was well-received, but no one trusted Christ. There were no decisions made to follow Christ. So the next week comes around and gets to the pulpit and says, all right, everyone open your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to be talking about how to be born again this week. People are kind of like, oh, okay, this sounds familiar. But and So they go through and preaches it again and gives an altar call, and no one responded. But it was well-received, and they enjoyed it again. Um, and the third week, he opens up the Bible, and everyone, everyone's kind of wondering, all right, what's he going to preach on this week? So they're kind of whispering back and forth, and he says, open your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to teach you all how to be born again this week. So he preaches the same one three times, and the deacons who just hired this guy are just like, what in the world is wrong with this pastor? He only has one sermon. So they call him into a, a special meeting with the pastor. Those usually aren't good ones. A special meeting with this pastor, and they say, they say Pastor, we really appreciate you being here, and we, we liked your sermon um, three times. That was good. But do you have another sermon? I mean, could you mix it up? I mean, do you have anything else? He's like, oh, yeah, I've got plenty of other sermons. Like, well, why do you keep preaching the same one? Well, I'm preaching it until you all get it. <laughs> and when Dave gave me the topic on um, receiving forgiveness, I'm like, man, this is like the same thing I've preached already like four times. So I've, you notice the title of the sermon on the top of your uh, notes is kind of blank, or on the first page of the bulletin, it's blank. So you can just write in how to... What is the title? Oh, yeah. <laughs> how to be born again. That's the title. No, um, we're going to talk about how to receive forgiveness. It's the same message, but we gave it a new title to kind of mix some things up, you know. Um, how to receive forgiveness. That's what we're talking about this week. Again, kicking off a new series. And this morning, we're going to answer four questions. We're going to answer four different questions, all dealing with the same topic of how to receive forgiveness, how to be forgiven. How to be forgiven. And the first thing that we kind of need to talk about before we talk about us being forgiven, we got to talk about a need for forgiveness. 
thing because we can say, oh, yeah, I'm forgiven and not understand the fact that we really need it. So the first thing we're going to do is answer the question, do I really need forgiveness? Do I really need forgiveness? I heard a pastor was once asked, um, was once asked, hey, if you were stuck on a train with somebody for an hour and that was the only opportunity you'd ever have to share the gospel with them, how would you share it? And this pastor said, oh, easy. I'd spend 45 minutes talking about our need for forgiveness. And I'd spend 15 minutes talking about the Savior. So it's 11.20 right now. So 12.20, move your lunch plans around. <laughs> well, it won't go quite that long. But this will be the main thing we're going to talk about is do we really need forgiveness? So if you could open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, we're going to spend a little bit of time there. We're going to fly around to a whole bunch of different passages. I'll have some on the screen and others I'll ask you to turn to, but we're going to start in 1 John chapter 1 and we're also going to end in 1 John chapter 1. So if you want to rip off a little piece of paper and leave it there, you're going to be turning right back to that page. It's on page 1208 in the Red Pew Bibles, if you have one of those, um, but I encourage you to turn there. John chapter 1. First on one, do I really need forgiveness? That's what we're answering. I rewatched the movie Secondhand Lions last week. That's a really enjoy. It's like the ultimate man drama, right? It's got like a Sahara Desert chase scene. There's swords. There's lions living in cornfields. It's great, like the man drama. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's this speech in that movie that Hub, one of the main characters, gives to every young aspiring man on how to be a man. And this is part of the speech. It says, courage, honor, and virtue mean everything. Money and power mean nothing. Good always triumphs over evil, and true love never dies. Those are things worth believing in. That's how Hub talks. That's a, that's a cool quote. It's enjoyable. Um, he kicks off the whole speech with this line, though. Kicks off the whole speech with this line. Son, you've got to know all men are basically good. And then he goes into the rest of the speech. That's how he starts it off. Um, now, Hub's a cool guy, but I don't know if I'm going to get my theology from him. Um, we're going to kind of dig into that question. Men are basically good for this first point. We're in 1 John 1. Before we read that, I want to read a section of Ephesians, kind of a launching point into 1 John for us. It'll be on the screen for you all. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That doesn't sound like something Hub would have said. Um, we're by nature children of wrath. That goes against a lot of popular opinion that men are basically good. First John 10, where we're going to be starting. First John chapter 1, verse 10, where we're going to be starting, um, kind of gives us a little more insight into this. First John 1, 10 says this, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Man, John hits hard just from the beginning. I mean, no introduction. He's like, if we claim to be sin, we're a liar, and the truth's not in us. We're not saved. <laughs> we all sin. We all need to recognize that. That's a hard truth. Verse 8, he gets even more specific. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Not just that we haven't sinned, but currently, if we claim to be without sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This statement's always true. Even as believers, we always have sins that we struggle with. We're all, we all fall short continually. So the need for forgiveness is clearly evident in our own lives and is clearly evident in Scripture. So the first sub-point under why we need forgiveness is our sin. Right? Our sin. Our sin separates us from God. We have baggage. We have issues that we need taken care of. In the book of Romans... Our sin is actually a major theme throughout that entire book, talking about the depravity of man, the fact that we're as bad off as we could be in being separated from God. Romans 3.23, this is a really popular verse that a lot of you probably have memorized. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Every person who's ever lived has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. Our sin separates us. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, um, God's talking to Israel about their sin in Isaiah 59. But it's a, this gives us a little glimpse into the character of God. Check it out. Isaiah 59, 2 says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We cannot debate the fact that our sin separates us from God. It can't be debated. We can't challenge that. The truth is, God is holy. We are not. There's an issue. God's holy. We're not. There's an issue. There's a gap that needs to be bridged. But our sin isn't the only strike we have against us. Our sin is not the only strike we have against us. Our sin is actually the fruit of an even bigger issue. In Romans chapter 5, just a couple chapters after 3.23, Romans 5 verse 12, it says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Our sin is the fruit of Adam's sin. From the very beginning, from Genesis 3, when Adam sinned in the garden, that sin was passed on to all mankind. So men, by nature, are children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath. Makes Ephesians make a little bit more sense when we realize that and think about that. Um, in Psalm 52, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity. From birth, I was a sinner. And if you, any of you guys have a two-year-old, there's a word you never needed to teach them which is great. It's no. They just have it. It's just natural. They just know it. Um, it comes naturally to all of us. So our sin separates us from God, and that's how we come into this world. Adam's sin is the other blank. Adam's sin has been spread to all of us. So we make our grand entrance into this world separated from God. And then we have this question, what is a good God to do with sinners, with us who are by nature children of wrath? What is a good God to do with us? And I'll give you a hint. The answer is not forgive and forget. If God simply just forgave everyone, he wouldn't be good. Would a, I mean, if there was a, a judge who's listening to a trial of a man who's committed murder, and he tells the murderer, oh, you know, I'm feeling nice today, so uh, you can go home feel like being a good guy. That's not a good judge. That's a terrible judge. That's a bad judge because sin was not punished. The law has not been carried out. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this. 
In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's talking about the Old Old Testament sacrificial system. That there needed to be blood shed for forgiveness to be granted to the Israelites. And that principle still applies today. Without the shedding of blood, there is zero forgiveness. It doesn't happen. The result of sin has always been and will always be death. It started in the garden, and it's made evident for us right now. We see it up close and personal. In uh, Romans chapter 5, I'd encourage you to turn there as well. Romans 5 is on page um, 1116. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. And this is where it gets better. So the first first half of this point is all kind of grim and sad stuff, and it's convicting and hard, but this is where it just gets great. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were still stuck in our sin. Our judge paid our fine. Our judge paid our fine. He took our place. He stepped down from his chair and followed the executioner taking your place. That's awesome. That's an awesome truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So Jesus took our sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Christ took our place. He paid our sin. He took the full cup of God's wrath, not just some of it. Jesus is more than a good judge. He's not just a good judge. He's something more than that. He's not just a good judge. He's something so much more. He's a judge that paid our fine for us. That's a great judge. That's better than good. A good judge would simply allow us to take our punishment. But Jesus is something more. Turn over to Acts chapter uh, 2. We're going to spend most of our time here. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It's on page 1079 in those pew Bibles. Um, he became our sin. So there are three more points to go. We're not going to take as long on the next three. We're going to kind of rush through, but I wanted to spend a good chunk on our need for forgiveness because Jesus said those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven little love little. The more we recognize our need for forgiveness, the more we recognize our own sin, that the more we love our Creator. The more, the more God's grace is made evident to us. So in Acts chapter 2, we see that um, this message that we just gave, the need for forgiveness, was just preached for the first time by Peter. All right? Peter first preaches this message that Jesus came, died, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paying for our sin. He just brought it to him. He told over 3,000 people that they killed the Messiah, that Jesus came in the flesh and they killed God that they had committed an an atrocious thing, but then God raised Jesus from the dead to pay for our sins. Um, 
So he just brought this message, and their response is what I want to hone in on. Because I think their response will give us a right answer at what our, our response should be. So it says this in Acts 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they were convicted. God's word hit them. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What can we do after this? These people listening, God hit them with his word, and they asked the question, What shall we do? What can we do? What now? Christ died. What now? How can his death be applied to my account? How can his death be applied to our account? That's the question, and that is the only response, I think, that someone can have when they hear about how great God's salvation is and what Jesus did. What can we do? What should the response be? So the next point is, the next question, how can I get forgiveness? How can I get forgiveness is the next question. How can I be forgiven? What does it take for the blood that is required from the law to not come out of my own skin? What does it take to get this forgiveness? Peter answers in verse 38. It says this, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We have an opportunity to be saved from this crooked, evil, wicked generation that we're all a part of. We have an opportunity to be saved from it. That's great. That means that the greatest thing in the world is not in this world. We have something so much greater. The greatest thing you could ever attain is not here on earth. So the first thing Peter says in order to receive that, Peter says to repent and be baptized. So the first blank is repent. It says, repent and be baptized. That's the first blank. Repent. What must I do? How can I be saved? Repent. All right, and there's a lot of confusion, actually, about that word repentance. Um, some say that it's simply to change your mind. Some say that it means to feel sorry for something. Some say that it means to change direction. Some people say that it means that you need to go and apologize or confess your sin. There's a lot of different ideas, and those are all fairly different. Um, the word repent isn't just another word for regret. It doesn't simply mean to confess. They already felt sorry for their sin. They were cut to the heart. Then Peter tells them to, regret, to repent. Um, one definition that I really, really like of repentance is this. It says, changing your mind, and I think I have it on the screen. Oh, cool. Changing your mind Changing your mind and your heart so you are no longer at odds with God, but in sync with God. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of actions. So a change of mind so that you are no longer at odds with God, but in sync with God. When Peter tells these people to repent, he is saying, move from opposing your creator. Move from opposing God when you killed his son and be in sync with him through trusting that his death was in your place, that he died for you. Change of mind that leads to a change of action. A word that's attached to that in the text is repent and be baptized. Some people take this verse to 
to say that one necessity to receive forgiveness is being baptized. That's how some people use this, and they use this verse as kind of a proof text to prove that that's the case. Um, but I, I don't know if I agree with that. The word baptism literally means to be cleansed or washed. Um, I don't think this passage is actually talking about water baptism. I believe that when we repent and we turn to God through trusting Christ as our Savior, we are cleansed. The blood of Christ covers our sin. That blood that's required for the law, the fulfill the laws on our behalf. So we are cleansed. So this verse could really easily, clearly be saying to its hearers and to us as well, repent and be cleansed for the forgiveness of your sin. Repent, and when you repent, you are cleansed. Repent and receive cleansing. That's what I think this verse is saying to us right now. Another reason I don't think that this verse is talking about water baptism is because of where it was spoken. They were in a temple with a bunch of kiddie pools around them, basically, and there's 3,000 people and 12 guys to do the baptisms. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> That's a whole lot of baptisms and a whole lot of dunking in little tiny pools. Um, Kind of on the topic of baptism, we're going to be having a baptism here in a few weeks. If you have any questions about that or you'd like to be baptized and you haven't been, mark that on your Connect card. Pass that on to Pastor David. Um, he'd love to give you a call. What we believe about baptism is that it's an outward profession or outward expression showing an inward transformation. So it's doing something on the outside to show to believers what's already happened on the inside. That's what we believe about baptism. So, if you'd like to do that or have any questions, please mark it on your Connect card. Um, Dave would love to talk to you. So, the second blank. So, the first is repent and be cleansed. Repent is the first blank. The second blank is receive. All right? Receive. When we repent, when we change our minds from opposing God, to, and then we choose to be in sync with God through trusting Christ, we receive two things. The first thing we receive is exactly what we were looking for. The first thing we receive is forgiveness, which is awesome. That's the greatest thing ever. When we choose, you know, I'm gonna, Lord, I want to be with you. I trust that Jesus died and paid for my sin. Believe that. We receive forgiveness, what we were looking for. Something we could never deserve, but we get. That's awesome. We receive forgiveness. The second thing that we get is really cool. It's like the ultimate bonus. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive indwelling God. <laughs> That's what that's saying. That's really awesome. God makes his dwelling place with us. Some people say that when you trust Christ, God becomes your boss. No, that's not how it is. When you trust Christ, you become, you become his life. He doesn't become your boss. He then works through you. In, um, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says this, verse 19 do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. When we trust Christ and repent, we receive forgiveness, and our body becomes God's temple. You are purchased by God and for God. <laughs> that's something that's awesome that happens. We receive forgiveness, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, indwelling Holy Spirit, sweet stuff. The next question that some of us actually might be asking currently um, is, can God forgive blank? 
and that blank is blank on purpose. Can God forgive blank? Can God forgive me? You may be thinking something, man, God couldn't forgive me, or God can't forgive my neighbor. Um, there's something. Can God forgive blank? Um, something I do part-time just a couple days a week, if even, as a, I'm a substitute school bus driver. So some of the kids in here have driven your school bus, and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it, um, goofing off with the kids and trying not to get in wrecks and stuff. <laughs> um, but one thing that if you have little ones, you know, they get loud, right? Like, and if they're with their friends, they just get louder. Imagine having 30 of them in the seats behind you. It's like it all just echoes just right up to the driver's seat. It's crazy. They get really loud. But I learned a trick, all right? I learned a trick to, con- to kind of control the volume level. And it only works with the little kids. The older ones are like, you're an idiot. I don't want to listen to you. Um, but with the younger ones, what I do sometimes if they get really loud is I say, hey, guys, want to hear a story? And dead quiet. Automatically, they're like, ooh, story time. It doesn't even matter what I tell them, too. I just make up a story as I'm driving. One day, there was a bus driver, and uh, he passed a pothole. No, but <laughs> they love it. And, they're, and then, like, I'll come back a couple weeks later. Can you tell us a story? <laughs> then I make up another story. It's great fun. I love it. Anyway, so if you're feeling a little convicted, and you're feeling like you're getting a little loud or a little mad on the inside about this, this is like the this story time with Stefan. So calm down. <laughs> Um, we're going to tell a story from the Bible answering the question, can God forgive blank? Um, in the Old Testament, Israel, God's chosen people, had their second king. All right, The first king they chose, the second king, was called a man after God's own choosing. A man after God's own choosing. And he was actually given the title, a man after God's own heart. And that's quite a title, right? I mean, like, at first, he's, I mean, he's king of Israel. That's, that's big. But a man after God's own heart, that's like ulti, ultimate awesome title. And that's something that I, wish would be, I hope would be said of me at some point. A man after God's own heart. So it's pretty obvious he's in fairly good standing with God if that's the title God gives him. It's pretty sweet. But there was a point kind of... After he'd, been, um, after he'd been the king for a, for a little while, all the other kings kind of go off to war. It's that season. And King David was like, you know what? I got a pretty good army. I'm not going to show up to this war. I'm just going to hang out. My couch is looking pretty comfortable. I'm just going to chill. So he's hanging out in his, in his man den up in the palace. And as he's up there, he kind of gets, gets up, walks around, and he looks out over his balcony. There's this girl. And she's bathing, because that's like the only private place. And from that point on, hormones just start flying. David makes some really bad decisions. He calls for this girl Bathsheba, and she comes to his house, and he can do whatever he wants because he's the king, right? So he kind of takes, takes that authority and misuses it. He takes this woman who's already married, and he knows it, commits adultery. And he's married as well, commits adultery, and then he sends her home. A few weeks later, he gets a message from, uh, from this, this lady, Bathsheba, and the message is basically, hey, uh, king, just want to let you know, I'm going to have a baby, and my husband's not around, so it's yours. Have fun. <laughs> like, so David, I mean, his sin's going to find him out, so he tries to cover up his sin. Tries to cover up his sin, and plan A fails, so the... Hus- or the wife's husband, Uriah, um, 
His plan failed in trying to get make look like, make it look like it was Uriah's baby. Didn't work out. So David's like, all right, got to go on to plan B. Hey, uh, people who are in authority down at the out the front lines, could you um have Uriah just go out to the front lines and then everyone draw back? David has Uriah murdered. He actually sends the message by Uriah. He writes the letter, hands it to Uriah, and has him bring it to the front lines. And it's the message saying that he's going to be killed. So King David has this man murdered. And then, on top of that, he goes and takes his Uriah's wife to be his wife. So David now has two wives. I don't know what the blank is for you, but I don't think you can one-up David. All right? Like, he's got a, this is like a bad soap opera. He did all these different, like, these are big sins. These aren't little things. But check out what David says in Psalm 32. This is after he's repented, after he's turned back to God, dealt with his sin. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. This is kind of his response after all the dust has settled from all the things he's done. It says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you didn't cover up my iniquity. And I said, I'll confess my transgressions, my transgressions to the Lord and you will forgive the iniquity of my sin. Now again, I don't know what the blank is for you, but David received forgiveness. So whatever that blank is, can God forgive blank? God forgave David. Um, maybe that blank for you is an addiction that you're struggling in. Maybe it's a poor choice that you made. Maybe, maybe uh, repercussions of something you've done are just haunting you. Maybe you have a reputation that you cannot seem to live down. This great thing. You may be disgusted with yourself. You may hate looking at yourself in the mirror because all you can see is your own sin. But I want to tell you that Jesus isn't disgusted of you. Jesus is not disgusted of you. He didn't save you because you deserved it. He didn't save you because you make him look good. No, Jesus makes Jesus look good in saving you. <laughs> Jesus looks good. He doesn't need you for that. He saves us because it shows how great his grace is. How great his grace is. You may be thinking, Stefan, you don't know what I've done. God cannot forgive me. And I want to respond to that question by asking, do you think God dying in your place wasn't enough? Think God dying wasn't enough? You think you need something more to pay for your sin than God in flesh? I'm sorry, that doesn't exist. <laughs> There's nothing more that could be needed. Your sin could never be so great that Christ's death isn't enough could never be so great that God in flesh is not enough. God's forgiveness is lavish. It's lavish. It's above and beyond what we could ever need. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says that God lavishes his grace on us. This is the idea of a cup overflowing. God lavishes his grace on us. 
It's so great. It's above and beyond what we could ever use up. God's grace doesn't run out. <laughs> it's not dependent on us. It doesn't run out. It's dependent on Him. So the last question that we're going to answer is what comes after forgiveness? What comes after forgiveness? I've been forgiven, so what? So what? We talked about why we need forgiveness, how we've sinned. We talked about the fact that we're forgiven based on Christ's shed blood on the cross. On the cross. He was punished on our behalf. We talked about how forgiveness comes to those who would choose to turn to God and op- from opposition to God through simple faith in Him, trusting that He died, paid for their sin. Talked about how whatever the blank is for you, God's forgiveness is greater. But that's all past tense. What comes next? What comes after forgiveness? There's got to be something. What should tomorrow look like because of this? There was a Catholic priest who was kind of struggling with this question of repentance, forgiveness, being justified before a holy God. He saw the reality of his sin and knew that he couldn't pay that. He couldn't deal with it. Um, it was something that he constantly struggled with, so he was searching out the scriptures. In the 1500s, he came to the conclusion that man was forgiven based on their faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross alone, plus nothing. That that is what merits forgiveness, is faith alone in what Christ did on the cross. Now, in 1517, a friar came to this young priest's church. This priest was named Martin Luther. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. Um, the priest's name is Martin Luther. And the friar came with a letter from the Pope. And the letter was demanding that Luther's church paid, that the people in Luther's church paid um, indulgences. Now what these indulgences were is they were funds that the church were promoting saying that if you pay toward the church for this building to be made, God will forgive your sins. Saying that they could pay for their salvation financially. They were going to some of the poorest people in their country and demanding that they pay to be forgiven. Now Martin, Martin Luther was ticked. He was furious. He ended up writing a very heated letter to his bishop. And he wrote the letter mostly as an academic thing. He's like, hey, biblically this is an issue. The letter was given the name 95 Theses. The 95 Theses. Now, some people believe, I don't know if it is historically accurate or not, but it's at least entertaining. Some people believe that Martin Luther actually took his 95 Theses and nailed it to the wall, of, or nailed it to the front door of the church so that everyone could see it. I don't know if he did that or not, but man, that proves that he's pretty tough. I mean, <laughs> but his 95 Theses. Um, I don't agree with everything that Martin Luther teaches, I don't agree with everything that he's done, but. CC number one, I think we need to pay a little bit of attention to. It's written in your notes. It says this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he said repent, will that the whole life of the believer should be repentance. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he said repent, willed that the whole life of the believer should be of repentance. This was the whole premise of his 95 Theses. Everything was from this launching point. All of them were based on this truth that the whole life of the believer should be of repentance. And he deals with a lot of different topics, 95 of them, in that. But it started from this one launching point. Um, 1 John chapter 1, I told you we'd start there and end there. 1 John chapter 1, I'm just going to read a few more verses. We started talking about um, how we've all sinned. 
If we say we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's where we started. We're going to close in that same chapter, in that same chunk of scripture, because there's a truth that I want to jump, that jumps out as you're reading that. I'm going to start reading in verse 5 of chapter 1. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's repenting, real quick. That's constantly turning away from darkness and into light every step if we walk in darkness. That's a daily step. That's repenting. Walking in the light towards synchronization with God. Verse 8. We just read it, but we'll read it again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John's saying, of course we're going to sin. We're going to mess up. But verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's just not some unrighteousness. That's all unrighteousness, all right? There's nothing more that's needed. There is no sin greater than our Savior. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation, that's the just payment, the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What comes after repentance? Continued repenting and receiving. Continued repenting and receiving. That should mark the believer's life, continually coming back to God and receiving his grace. We need to daily recognize not just our sin, but how great our God is in forgiving us. We are not to beat ourselves up over our sin, but we are to turn to Christ continually. Repenting isn't just turning away, but it's who we're turning to. That's the important part. Uh, I was talking to a lady in the church who was here first service about the phrase, I'm a sinner saved by grace. She was talking about that phrase on Tuesday or Wednesday. Anyway, talking about that phrase, and she just kind of talked about how she really didn't like it. And after talking with her, I totally agree. We say we're a sinner saved by grace, but oftentimes we make the focal point of that that we're a sinner, not that we're saved by grace. Your identity in Christ is one who has been saved by grace, not just some lowly sinner. You are someone that God has chosen to reveal his grace to. That's a joyful thing. That's not a, that's not a sad thing. Um, now, there are two types of people, um, not just in this room, but in this world. There are two types of people, and it's not Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> um, it's not Americans and then anyone who's not American. Those aren't the two types. It's also not those who sin and those who are perfect. Those are not the two types of people. There are two groups, those who are forgiven on the basis of their faith in the shed blood of Christ, and those who are separated from God on the basis of their sin that comes so naturally. So this invitation at the end extends to both groups, those who are forgiven and those who are separated. If you 
are saved, if you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've turned toward God in faith, um, I want to ask you, are you living, living like you've been forgiven much? Remember Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven little love little. Are you living as you have been forgiven much? Maybe your next step today is just to simply revel in the fact that God's forgiveness extends to you. Living as someone who is forgiven. You can check that box if that's kind of where you're at. That you need to continually be thinking that. Living as someone who has been forgiven. So check that in the next step today. Maybe... You're in this room and you don't know Jesus. You kind of hear about having a relationship with him and hear some weird little preacher talk about God living in you and it's weird stuff. But you recognize that you have a need for forgiveness, that you're separated from God and you want that gap to be bridged. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You don't need to walk down an aisle to trust Christ to be saved. We're not going to ask any of those things. Um, but I'd like to ask you, what's holding you back from recognizing Christ's authority? What's holding you back from choosing to trust him as your savior? There's no guarantee of tomorrow for any of us here, but there is a guarantee from God's word that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And here's the question, will that day be today or will that day be when you're standing before him as judge? Will you come to your knees willingly or will you be forced there? <laughs> that's, that's the question. It's not a question of whether you'll bow. The question is when you'll bow. That's, that's the question that stands for us today. Will it be today or will it be too late? Will you bow now as Christ is Lord or will you later bow to him as judge? If that's you and you want to choose to recognize who Christ is, you want to choose to believe that he that he died paying the full penalty for your sins specifically, that he died in your place. I'd like to ask you on the Connect card just to check that I'm choosing to accept forgiveness for the first time today. And it's not going to be anything really terrifying. I will send a little message of encouragement to you and just a, just a blessing just so we can pray for you and know that God's working in your life. It's a great encouragement. But I'd ask you to ask you to do that. Now we're going to close in prayer and the worship team's going to come back up. But just throughout this week and throughout the next, <laughs> next few hours and days, one, be reveling in what Christ has done for you. That he would die for, for sinners like us and that our identity is not currently a sinner, but rather our identity is someone that God has chosen to reveal his grace to and that's something that um, can't be scoffed at. If you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, I'd challenge you to make that decision today, to not put it off because there's no guarantee tomorrow, but there is a guarantee of a day where you will bow to either a judge or a Lord. <laughs> All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, just thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that you died and paid the full penalty for our sin. Lord, I pray that as we go throughout this week that we would revel in the grace that you lavish on us. Lord, that we would just continually recognize who you are and what you've done for us and that we would love much as those who have been forgiven much. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would just convict them or that your Holy Spirit would do a work on them and they would choose possibly right now to trust you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would recognize your authority 
right now. In Jesus Christ, amen. Well, the ushers are going to come forward and take up our morning's offering. And if you're our guest here, please.